Please remain standing as we pray together. Lord, there's no better words to say than the words that that old song gives us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Make us, mold us, melt us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Anoint the preaching of your word with the Spirit's power and anoint the hearing of your word with the Spirit's power. That preacher and listener will be brought together to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, some of you uh, may know that this is my last Sunday at Christ Church before I go on sabbatical. So some of you, it's kind of like, oh, it's like purgatory. He's going away, but he will come back. Uh, some of you, it's a joyful thing. Some of you, maybe not so much. But anyway, I'm heading out on sabbatical uh, like 1130 today. So... Uh, I will be back on the 6th of September uh, at the end of the summer. During that time, Father Keith Huffman will be acting priest in charge. And so uh, he's, he's got a two-week window to call me if he needs anything. After that, I'm changing my phone number. And, uh, and so you'll have Father Keith, and you'll have Deacon Jim, and you'll have Deacon Jesus Dominguez here. Yes, Captain Dominguez will be here and many others to help out. So you're being left in great hands. But I felt, uh, since this is my last Sunday, I, I felt led by the Lord to depart from the lectionary text for Pentecost today and to read a text to you from Colossians. And I'll read that in just a minute. But if you want to hear the Pentecost sermon, I preached it last night and it's not been taped, so you're out of luck. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, but I, I, I want you to know as I've gone into this time of preparing for um, this last Sunday, I have assiduously avoided thinking about my sabbatical any more than absolutely necessary. In fact, some of you asked me, are you getting excited? And I've tried to say, no, I'm not thinking about it. I'm, I'm trying to keep my head in the game. But it was kind of like, you know, the sandcastles on the beach. About Wednesday, the tide started coming in, and the sandcastle that I had erected to keep it all out of my mind began to erode. And so I couldn't help but think about, I'm going to go hiking on the Appalachian Trail. And that's about all I could think about, even as I was preparing for this sermon. And so I hope that uh, you will not... Um, uh, be upset with me that I'm going to compare everything to hiking <laughs> in the rest of this sermon. I'm going to think about that time that I'm going to be spending on the trail and here in the United States and later on the West Highland Way in Scotland. But I couldn't help but thinking about Christchurch being on a journey as well through this summer. So let me read to you the passage from Colossians that the Lord has laid on my heart for the church to hear today. I really do think this is the word the Spirit of God is speaking to his church this morning. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, if this really is a journey that you're going on this summer, in my absence, and I'm certainly going to be on one as well, but as Christ Church goes on its summer journey, if you're going to go anywhere on a hike, you have to know where you're starting from in order to get where you're going. If you don't know where you're starting from, you cannot reach your destination. And so the Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, he says, this is where you're starting from. He does it like this. He says, church, remember who you are. Church, remember who you are. He says, you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now that language traditionally reserved was reserved for God's elect people, the Jews. But now through Christ, you and I as Gentile believers have been grafted in as wild olive branches into the olive tree of Judaism. We are grafted into that covenant community. And so all of those titles, all of that starting point, all of that reality belongs to you this morning as well as to the Jewish people. You are chosen. In other words, this, and I love this. It means God picked you out. You know, you know I, one of the things that um, uh, I, I love about uh, people who, uh, who adopt is that most people get the children that they have. Adoptive parents get to pick theirs out. And those kids, instead of feeling like they're less than, maybe should have a little sense of joy in the fact that my parents chose me. My parents chose me. We are God's adopted children. God picked us out. He picked us out for his own glory. And that shouldn't give us some kind of sense of pride or arrogance, but a deep sense of gratitude to God and a deep sense of responsibility. We begin there as God's chosen people, grateful for salvation, and realize that we are called to a mission of reconciling the world to God through Jesus Christ. We are holy people. In other words, we're called to be different. We're not going to be like everybody else around us. There are going to be distinctives about the life that we share in Christ that makes us separate from the world. World, and we are beloved. That means this, and I, I hope you carry this with you as your starting point throughout this summer, wherever you may be this summer. Listen, God loves you. He's crazy in love with you. He loves you with the kind of love that in the deepest aching part of your heart, you have always wanted to have someone love you like he wants, he wants you to know that you are, and listen, all of our parents are imperfect. And so every one of us didn't get something exactly that we needed from our parent. And so there is always a little bit of a gap in our heart. Let God's love fill that gap. He loves you with the kind of love you have always craved. And if you realized that, it would change your life. I need to realize that too. You are beloved. God's favor is just the dump truck of God's love has backed up and it's going beep, beep, beep. <laughs> and his favor is poured out on you. And that's where we start from. You know, when I'm staying on the Appalachian Trail, if anybody's hiking the Appalachian Trail, you become very familiar with something. There is a six inch tall, two-inch wide, white stripe that is basically you go from 
one white stripe to the next white stripe. Those are called blazes. And, you, and so if you ever get off the trail, you know you're off the trail because you stop seeing the white blaze, the white stripes. And, uh, and that's a bad feeling when you've hiked for about 15 minutes and you realize, wait a second. Where's that white stripe at? And then if you don't see it, you turn around and you start hiking the way you came until you start seeing those blazes again. The blazes help you determine whether or not you are on the path. They are essential for staying on the Appalachian Trail. There's blazes on the West Highland Way. I've checked it out. I want to know. They're shaped like little thistles, as you might expect, which is really cute. So Scotland and thistles, that kind of goes together and that kind of thing. But Paul sets out blazes for the Christian life in a list of intentional, virtu- intentional relational virtues. The blazes, the markers that you and I are staying on the path he has charted for us, are blazed with relational virtues. We know we're on the right path and we're walking in a redeemed pattern of relationships. And I'm actually going to go very briefly through the terms that Paul uses because I think they're they're going to be critical for us throughout the summer, whether you're hiking on the Appalachian Trail or right here at Christ Church or wherever you may be, to make sure that you are on the right path that God has for you. Here are the blazes. First of all, it says compassionate hearts, except it really says it better uh, in the King James Version, bowels of mercy. Because it doesn't use the word for heart in the Greek. It uses the word basically for the gut, a compassionate gut. So from the deepest part of ourselves, that sense of compassion should flow. What is that compassion? It is, listen, it is the ability to put oneself in another. Compassion means to be able to put myself in another person's place that I'm dealing with so that I can extend mercy to them. Mercy flows when I have begun to be able to put myself in that person's place enough to understand them, and mercy can flow into their lives. Paul says, put on kindness. In the Greek word, I love it, the, the, the word there that's used um, is also used to, to talk about wine that has mellowed with age and lost its harshness. Brothers and sisters, let's not be harsh with one another. One of the ways that we can tell we're off the path is when we become harsh in how we treat one another. We are to treat one another. You could also translate this word as sweetness. You can also translate this word. It's also translated in uh, Matthew's gospel when Jesus says, "My, my yoke is easy. That's the word that he uses. It's not harsh. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. My yoke is sweet to bear. Treating one another with kindness. Humility. Paul says, here's another blaze hiking down the trail. If you're not seeing humility out there, you might not be on the right path. In fact, I would say you certainly aren't. Humility is always a lack of arrogance towards others. But it is also the attitude that others deserve the first place more than we ourselves do. When we genuinely humble, when we're genuinely humble, we are not embittered. Listen, if we're genuinely, genuinely humble, we are not embittered when we are overlooked or when we don't get our way. God is attracted to humility. A clear mark of, gen, uh, of a lack of humility is this. If, it, if, if I get irritated, 
if someone else is excelling and maybe attention is being drawn to them, and it doesn't, I mean, regardless of their attitude, but if, some, if someone else is excelling and I feel threatened, that's a lack of humility. Humility is a willingness to be overlooked. It's a forgetfulness of ourselves. Paul says, meekness, put on, look for the blaze of meekness. You can also translate that word gentleness. Most of us don't really like that word, meek. It's not a word I, want to ad- I don't want to adopt, you know, wow, Ben Sharp is really a meek person. It just makes me feel kind of weird if somebody said that. But no, we think of, we have this negative understanding of what meekness means. Really, it means strength under control. It means our strength under God's control. The same word is used of domesticated animals. Uh, 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 think about this. Nobody would think that a Clydesdale was weak and wimpy. But it is domesticated. It's an enormous animal with an amazing capacity of strength. But it is also one of the most gentle horses. And, and if you've, have you, you've, you've seen Clydesdales, you've watched TV, you've seen the Budweiser commercials, so you know what they look like. They're ginormous. If you ever see one in person, you're like, no animal needs to be this big. It's like megafauna from the Pleistocene era, walking around. So what does it mean for us? It means, listen to this, brothers and sisters, if that means domesticated, I want to suggest that uh, we have God-domesticated attitudes and emotions, that God is domesticating making tame the passions that rule within us. It also means this, meekness, gentleness, it means, listen, having a teachable spirit. So if you don't like anyone to instruct you, you might have a problem with gentleness. You're off the path. Come back to the path. I love that sound. Patience. This is one of my favorite Greek words. I've only got five or six, so I'm not like these guys, Greek scholars. But macrothumia, I just love that. And, and, and here's what I think it also, again, is better translated in the King James. That patience, in the King James, it's long-suffering. I love that sound. Oliver, you keep going, buddy. Um, macrothumia means, uh, it doesn't just mean like sitting in the doctor's office being patient. It means being patient with other people. It means long-suffering with other people. Not making snap judgments and not writing one another off. It's a willingness to keep the conversation going. And that's something that God has really worked in my heart in the last, in my older years here. I'm not, uh, I'm not as old as Jim Cronkey, but as older as I've gotten. <laughs> I, <laughs> don't write me off, Jim. <laughs> is, this, is this willingness, he doesn't mind being the straight man. It's this willingness to keep the conversation going, even when I might deeply disagree with somebody. Because God has not shut the conversation off with me. This kind of long-suffering doesn't grow bitter or cynical about people. It is patience that conquers. Listen, this kind of long-suffering, this kind of patience conquers our dissatisfaction with others. Do we see that blaze on the trail that God has put in front of us? And if you weren't getting it, it, Paul just says, and this is the uh, North Carolina translation. This is the Eastern North Carolina translation. Put up with one another, y'all. <laughs> Bearing with one another. Just put up with each other. Sometimes that's all we can do. 
but it's an attitude of toleration of one another's differences and failings because we know that we are all on the same journey of faith. Forgiveness, treating others in the body with the same forgiveness God treats us. We are going to have to develop, and I think we have here, an attitude of forgiveness because if you are not aware of this, please let me help you now. This will really help you, okay? I promise you that you will be hurt and disappointed by the people who are closest to you in the body of Christ. You know, um, it's, uh, occasionally I hear someone say, well, you know, I got really hurt in church. That's why I don't go to church anymore. You ought to go into ministry. <laughs> and see, they, you know, we don't give up. I love Jesus' church. We will be hurt and disappointed by those closest to us in the body of Christ. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we're excusing behaviors that disappoint and hurt us, but it seeks reconciliation so that lives can be changed and mended. And finally, you need to be looking for this blaze. If you miss all the other ones, put on love, Paul says, which binds all of these together. This love, agape love, is love, it's a love that's not a feeling of warmth or tenderness or affection. That comes along with it sometimes. But really, it is an act of the will to put the good of the other before my own good. It is how, it is the love that held Jesus to the cross. That's the love we're talking about. It didn't feel warm and fuzzy to be nailed on that piece of wood. But it was God's love that held him there. His disposition to desire the best for us, regardless of the cross, regardless of the cost to himself. Now, we know that we're on the right pack when we have, or on the right pack, we know we're on the right track when we, you have to have a compass to stay on track, right? Um, and you need to know how to use your compass, by the way. And I might be hiking in the last day of my time in Scotland. Uh, the highest peak in Scotland is called Ben Nevis. In Gaelic, uh, it, Nevis comes from a word that basically means dark and evil. It's an evil mountain because there's, you can die on Ben Nevis. And, uh, and here's what happens is that the clouds will come in. You, I've heard that it rains in Scotland. Um, <laughs> the, and the weather turns bad even in August, and you can't hardly see anything in front of you. And if you don't have a compass, you can fall off a cliff and die, and people have. People get injured every year because they don't have a compass on Ben Nevis. So here's the deal. This is what the Scripture says. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you are called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of Christ, when it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, it, it literally means let the peace of Christ be the umpire of your heart. Let the peace of Christ be the compass of your heart. And that term, peace of Christ, what does that mean? Well, if, I mean, here's the thing that's always going to keep us pointed in the right direction. Christ's peace is a peace that brings reconciliation between people who are at enmity with one another. God made peace through his son, Jesus Christ, with us. Is reconciling love direct to me? That's the peace of Christ. That's your compass. And finally, you have to have the right stuff in your backpack. I'm going to be packing, maybe even this afternoon, I'm going to be starting packing my backpack to hit the trail. Well, this summer, I want to make sure that we've got three things in our backpack as we're walking this path at Christ Church. I know I'm wearing this analogy out, but I'm having a great time. <laughs> you need to make sure, oh, listen, brothers and sisters, you need to make sure you pack gratitude. 
Paul says in that last verse, verse I just read, verse 15, and be thankful. We need to remind ourselves over and over of all that God has done for us being thankful. In fact, three separate occasions in that one little passage of five verses I read to you, Paul says, and be thankful and put on thankfulness and giving thanks in your, in your hearts to God. He's, he's bringing back thankfulness three times in that tiny little passage. It's easy for us to focus on the negative. That's a part of our sinful, fallen human nature. When we're not being grateful, but when we're being dissatisfied. Uh, Look, we need to do a heart check. Many of us do right now. And do I default, listen to me, do I default to an attitude of discontent? I see it in a lot of folks, and sometimes I see it in me. That is not what we should be carrying in our backpack. Here's here's the thing. It takes intentionality to pack gratitude. And so all you have to do is just be the center that you and I are (laughs) to be negative. It takes intentionality to be grateful. Here's two ways to be grateful. If you can't think of anything to thank God for, you go read the Psalms. And that will give you a list. Go to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Don't forget what he's done for you. Be thankful. Be grateful. Do a heart check right now. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, the scripture says. In other words, we need to make sure in our backpack we have packed the Word of God. The Scriptures need to be in your backpack. Um, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, not with a paucity or a minimal amount, but richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. It should, we should be saturated with, the God, with God's Word. I'm just going to say it like this. It's like having uh, your, your food packed in your backpack. If you don't have the Word of God packed with you this summer, you will die. You will starve to death. We don't live by bread alone. We need God's Word. Make sure you stay focused on God's Word. In fact, I know you're going to because I know what Father Keith will be preaching on this summer. It's going to be awesome. You are going to get rich teaching from Ephesians. But then throughout the day, in your own day-to-day life, are you coming back to the Scriptures and reading God's Word? Finally, pack worship. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Worship, in other words, listen, the, uh, the, uh, the Westminster Catechism, the first uh, question is, what is the chief end of man? And most of us, well, let me see if we know this. It's okay if you don't, if you're not a Presbyterian or to have that background. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever to glorify God and enjoy him forever worship is supposed to be enjoying God brothers and sisters I'm giving you permission to enjoy worship if you didn't think you had that already please enjoy the worship of God you've got wonderful people leading you in worship in this church in fact uh, many people go through Jim Reed withdrawal syndrome when they go to other churches for a while we have wonderful leadership in worship delight in worship be refreshed in worship enjoy worship pack worship that means this 
when you are on vacation this summer, and many of us will travel, that is, you are not on a vacation from worship. I promise you, almost everywhere, unless you're in the 1040 window, and even there probably, you will find a church where people are worshiping God. Go to church on Sunday. The way you finish any journey is you have to have a purpose. In fact, people who, are, who go on hike the Appalachian Trail, many, the people who fall off the trail, the people who quit, and lots of people start, but only like 1,500 people at most every year complete the trail. The people who uh, don't complete the trail are those who don't have a purpose. They, they don't have, their, maybe their only purpose is just getting to Katahdin which is the terminus, the northern terminus in Maine of the Appalachian Trail. And if you, if you hike with that as your only purpose is just getting to the end, it makes everything a chore. It makes everything drudgery. So we all need to find a purpose in our hike. My purpose on these, when I'm out on, on the Appalachian Trail, pray, pray that I stay healthy, by the way, that I don't injure myself. I want to keep doing this as long as I possibly can. But I just want to reconnect with God. See, every year... At some point, my soul gets away and runs loose, and I have to track it down on the Appalachian Trail. That's where it goes every year. <laughs> I have to go find it. But that's really where I reconnect with the Lord. So I have a purpose. God has given us a purpose here in this passage for our journey. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything in word and deed in the name of the Lord Jesus. Every moment of our lives is supposed to be directed towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you may have heard me tell the story of when I was a district scout executive. This was before I went into the ministry. Uh, I, I served with uh, Baden-Powell. Uh, that means nothing to most of you. It just means I would be really old. Thanks, John. Uh, no, uh, I actually was the Alamance County District Scout Executive from 1985 to 1987. And uh, Mr. Bill Brackett was our council executive, so he was my immediate superior. And I remember we were driving out to a little church out, uh, outside of Graham, one uh, evening, and uh, we had gone out there and we'd done a training event. This was actually for a Cub Scout pack, and we were coming back, and we were sitting in front, sitting in the front seat of the Chevrolet Celebrity. It was the company car. He had a deal with one of the one of the dealerships there in Burlington, and uh, and so we were driving back, and it's raining. I remember the windshield wipers going back and forth, and we're doing what guys do in a car, which is we are extremely comfortable with not saying anything to each other. I love that. You don't have to have a conversation. And, and, no, and, and not, neither one of those guys, if there's two guys in the car and they're not talking to each other, this is what's not happening in their mind. I wonder if they're mad at me. <laughs> We're not thinking that. We're just enjoying it. And uh, we don't think that's weird at all, but we're driving back in silence, and all of a sudden, Mr. Brackett says, and because I, things were going well in the district, and, and he was pleased with my performance, and he said, uh, Ben, what, what is your motivation? What's driving you? Why are you, you know, you're doing a good job, and I just want to know what makes you do it. And, he, and I said, well, Mr. Brackett, the Bible says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's my motivation, is I'm really not working for you. I'm working for Jesus. And fortunately, that was exactly the right answer for Mr. Brackett. But that's the way every one of us should be. Every activity of our life, everything in word and deed, 
Is it being done in the name of the Lord Jesus? You want to talk about modifying your behavior. Is what I'm doing and what I'm saying, can it be done in the name of the Lord Jesus? So brothers and sisters, I encourage you to know where you're at so that you can get to your destination. Remember who you are. Look for the blazes that God has put on the trail. Make sure you pack the right stuff and have a purpose in your journey. And I'm confident that when I come back, there's going to be more people in this church than when I left. And there's going to be as much or more joy than there ever has been. And we're looking forward to a great future in the fall together. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I entrust these your sheep, this wonderful family, these sweet people that, Lord, love one another so much and whom I love so much. I entrust them to your shepherd, Keith, and, Lord, to one another's love and care. Lord, I am confident in you that they will stay on the path throughout this summer. Lord, may it be a time of growth and refreshment, not just for me on sabbatical, but for all of us as we go forward together. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.